Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not sure if I'm on. Am I on? Okay, I'm not on. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the May 31st program of the Southern Alberta Council of Public Affairs. My name is Susan Giffen, and I'm your moderator this afternoon. We would ask that you please turn your cell phones off so there's no inadvertent ringing as we proceed with the program. The um, talk today and the question, uh, question and answer will be recorded on SACPA's webpage. As well, Shaw TV records SACPA presentations and uses excerpts from PowerPoint, if applicable, for their broadcasts. We ask that each person put $14 on the table for their lunch, and it will be collected later in the program. The program today is divided into three parts. We start with our speaker for half an hour, then we eat for half an hour, and then we have question and answer for half an hour. The program today is, do Hutterite colony farmers have advantageous tax status? And in Southern Alberta, I think that's a really good question. I think we're all very curious to find out a little bit more about this topic. And to that end, we have invited Gord Tate to come and speak with us today. Gord Tate, CPACA, is a partner and business advisor with MNP focused on client service delivery to over 300 Hutterite colonies in Lethbridge, Red Deer, Grand Prairie, Saskatoon, Swift Current, Brandon, Portage, and Winnipeg. Prior to joining MNP, Gord operated a family business working exclusively with Hutterite colonies. Gord began his career at MNP in 1999 as the regional managing partner for Lethbridge and under his leadership, the region, the region experienced tremendous development, growing from 11 to more than 100 team members in only eight years. As former director of Hutterite Services, Gord developed recruitment strategies, cultural awareness programs, and focused on new products and services for Hutterite clients that go beyond MNP's traditional services. Gord is a chartered professional accountant and a chartered accountant who received his Bachelor of Commerce degree with honors from the University of Saskatchewan. Please join me in welcoming Gord Tate. Well, thank you very much and thanks for that very nice introduction. Uh, I've actually spent most of my life, I think, trying to say I'm a hockey player and not really an accountant, but I'm not really sure. I, thank goodness there was accounting for my world, because those of you who might have seen my hockey days, it was, uh, it was not enough to get me very far. Um, I did want to start with just a little brief uh, a bit of history, um, probably back to my father. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to, and been privileged enough to work with the Hatterian Brethren for my entire professional career. And that's because my dad, Logan, uh, started working with Hutterites in 1960 here in Lethbridge, Alberta. So my dad, Logan, was specialized in Hutterites long before I was uh, ever a thought. So uh, that history goes back a very, very long time. And uh, uh, I also wanted to start with a very brief history about Hutterite colonies and then get into the more specific uh, issue about income tax. So 
those of you who might know me a little bit might also realize that I haven't done much in just 30 minutes in my lifetime. So I'll, if, I, if I end up rushing through, I do like to talk. So uh, I'll do my best to kind of stay uh, on our timing here this morning. Uh, some general quick facts that I think might surprise some people. There's about 10,000 Hutterites in southern Alberta. If you took an, a line somewhere around Calgary and came down south, you'd easily find 100 Hutterite colonies. Uh, that would surprise many, I think, that there's as many as 10,000 in southern Alberta. There are about 40,000 Hutterites in Canada. They're now celebrating their 100th year. Hutterite colonies came to Canada in the early 1900s, fleeing religious persecution in the United States during World War I uh, because Hutterites are pacifists and they ran into some fairly significant difficulties in the United States. I won't go into that. That could be another topic someday. But... Uh, the Hutterite religion was born in the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s, in 1525. And Hutterites uh, basically were persecuted across Europe and, and, and moved to various countries, uh, lastly in Russia before they immigrated to, to the United States in the 1870s and then to Canada in 1917-1918 was the first Hutterite colonies communities established in both Alberta and Manitoba. A couple of things that I think are important as they relate to the issue of income tax. Uh, there's a few main uh, tenets of the Hutterite religion uh, that, that were very, very important back in the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s. And um, those include voluntary adult baptism. So anyone who's a Hutterite, uh, the Hutterites believed that to make a choice to join your religion, you needed to be an adult, uh, making that choice of free will. So they, they believe in voluntary adult baptism. They're pacifists, obviously. And when it comes to the uh, issue of income tax, which created the big challenge in, in Canada and to maybe more relate to the topic that I'm here to talk about today, was income tax. Because Hutterites believe in all things common. And uh, those of you who might be familiar with the book of Acts in the New Testament, that's the, that's the main fundamental tenet of the Hutterian Brethren Church. Like Christ and the disciples, they believed that those who were to get believed were together and shared all things common, and that's what's in the, in the book of Acts. And when it comes to income tax, that can create a challenge because uh, uh, there was no specific ownership of the property. So the biggest myth and one that we're here to talk a little bit about today is that Hutterites don't pay income tax or that they pay significantly less than others. And if I just asked for a quick show of hands, would that be... Uh, general understanding about that people have heard uh, throughout their time in southern Alberta that Hutterites don't pay tax or they get special advantages just by a quick show of hands. Is that what people have heard or believed? Yeah. It's, uh, it's a very common myth. Uh, I could speak about where maybe some of that started, but uh, I, that might again be another long topic for another day. Um, I'm not sure if we're going to have time today. There are some other very important myths, and if I have some time, I'll deal with them at the end of my presentation. But there's a lot of myths about land ownership and Hutterites. There's certainly a lot of myths about the... the uh, I, I put free labor up there because I can tell you it's anything but that. Um, very huge challenges that many Hutterite colonies are, are, are encountering right now in southern Alberta. They're being denied the ability to build their own homes in counties in southern Alberta in, in 2018. So uh, there's some other myths that we need to deal with there. Um, and lots of people look at the success of Hutterite colonies, and I think that's what's led to sometimes the, uh, the growth of some of the myths, because I think people look for explanations as to why the Hutterite community perhaps has succeeded in the manner in which they have over the last 100 years. 
Um, we have to remember that a Hutterite colony is literally nothing more than a family farm. It's just a bunch of families living together and farming. It's nothing magical, it's nothing special, we could all do it. But without the, without the strong uh, faith-based lifestyle, I think it, would, it, it becomes challenging. But let's remember that Hutterite colonies are probably the best example that exists of a successful family farm. I believe people look for reasons and explanations as to why colonies have succeeded. And the answer is, quite frankly, again, going back to their faith-based lifestyle, they don't spend time and money and resources to try and accumulate personal assets. They work for the community, which is for themselves. But it's really their relatively simple personal lifestyle. I, uh, I, I don't want to get too far started off the topic, but when I was preparing, and, and I do have the pleasure of some good friends from Kings Lake Colony here with me today, but I'm sad to say that between myself and my children and my significant other, I've got more vehicles in a couple of, driving, uh, in a couple of driveways than the entire Kings Lake Hutterite Colony has. They have seven vehicles for 21 families. I think we've got eight between all of my grown children and me. So it's, they've got three or four washing machines and dryers for 21 families. They don't accumulate, if every, every Hutterite family doesn't go on a nice vacation every year. They're committed to their lifestyle, they're committed to their community, and that's the reason they've succeeded financially and not certainly to do with any kind of tax advantage or regulatory advantage, and we're gonna talk a little bit about that, but I just wanted to sort of start my conversation because lots of people want to find the the silver bullet as to why Hutterite colonies have, have succeeded. And uh, again, some succeed far greater than others. They're just like any other business. But it's mostly the fact that they don't pursue and accumulate personal wealth. And the money that we would other, many of us otherwise spend on ourselves is not, uh, is not a, an issue for a Hutterite colony. The fact of the matter is Hutterites pay more income tax than their non-Hutterian neighbors. Now, some people would say, Gord, you work for Hutterite colonies across Canada. Um, of course, you're going to say that. I can stand up here in front of you and say this is not Gord's opinion. This is a fact. Hutterites pay more because of their religion. It's hard to believe. I'm going to tell you a little bit about why that's the case uh, as we go along here. Um, a quick overview. And I, I, when, I, when, I, when I spoke earlier, I mentioned that Hutterites believe in all things common. And when it came to income tax, that created a massive challenge for the government of Canada to figure out how can we tax a group of people that the individuals don't receive any of the income that's, uh, that's earned by the organization. So it actually started with the Carter Commission. And the Carter Commission was a major tax reform that happened in Canada in the early 1960s. And Mr. Carter identified how to write colonies and said, we've got these farming operations. They're, they're, there's a religious aspect to them, there's a church, but there's also a very important business aspect. They're farmers. And we have to find a way to tax the business profits fairly. And in the Carter Commission, uh, which started in 1961, it finished in 1967. I've still got f stories from my dad telling me about what had happened at that point in time, because in 1967 he had to file seven years worth of income tax returns for all the Hutterite colonies he did work for. He swears to me, used to anyhow, uh, that he didn't sleep for five or six days near the deadline as he was trying to prepare all the tax returns. Because you have to file a personal tax return for every Hutterite member that's 18 years of age or older. So that first year, he tells many stories of having to call his Hutterite colony clients into his office at 3 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning to come in and sign their tax returns before he could get them filed. So um, what happened with the Carter Commission 
is they came to an agreement, and that agreement's called, a mem they, they called it a memorandum of understanding, and it was agreement between the Department of National Revenue at the time and Hutterite colonies on how to tax their income fairly. Um, in the mid-1970s, as I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier, in the mid-1970s there was a fairly significant dispute between one conference of the Hutterite church, there's, there's three different conferences uh, uh, in the Hutterian church, one is the Leralite people, the Shemitahite people, and the Dariusite people, and again, goes back to when they first immigrated to the United States from Russia. Um, but one of those groups of people challenged some of the items that were in the Memorandum of Understanding, this agreement that they had with the, with the Department of Revenue. So in 1977, that Memorandum of Understanding was codified, and it was put into the Income Tax Act, and the Income Tax Act created Section 143, which is entitled Communal Organizations. So there is, in fact, a separate and distinct section of the Income Tax Act under which Hutterite colonies are taxed. That section never specifically uses the word Hutterite, but a number of the terms and definitions inside that section basically leave that section to be exclusively Hutterites. Uh, John and I presented recently in front of the Senate of Canada, and uh, the Senate was fairly pushy with the Department of, uh, with, the, with the Canada Revenue Agency to identify whether or not any other taxpayers, in fact, file under Section 143, and uh, we've never been told that anyone else does. Need needless to say, the tax rules that cover Hutterites were put into the Income Tax Act in 1977. And the main um, fundamental basic uh, purpose of and the intent of that section was to tax the income as if it had been earned by the individual families in the congregation, which seems very fair. We have a basically an individual tax system uh, in Canada. We, it's changed and developed over the years. So in 1977, as an extension of the Carter Commission, they codified Section 143 and said, we will act as if the income of the, of the, of the colony has been in fact earned by the various families uh, on that colony. Seemed fair, seemed reasonable. Um, there are some specific restrictions that I'm gonna talk about, but that's where the section was born. It was born in a, in a, out of respect for the Hutterian belief, uh, respect for the religious beliefs, and yet at the same time needed to find a way to tax them favorably, but not more favorably than their non-Hutterian neighbors. Section 143, however, was very, very restrictive right from the first day, from, from the time it was enacted. And there are, I'll give you some very, if you don't have time to do a tax lecture here today, but I will, I'll give you some of the basic uh, rules that create the unfairness that we're trying to deal with as we, as we uh, speak. The section created what's called a deemed trust, a fictional trust. And essentially what that does is that it, it presumes that the Hutterite colony, most of which are in fact legally incorporated entities, they're corporations. Section 143 said, we don't care if you're a corporation, you're not gonna file tax as a corporation, we're gonna pretend you're a trust. And we're gonna calculate the taxable income of the colony, the same as we would calculate the taxable income for any other business, and then we're gonna pretend that it went into this trust for a little, just this deemed trust, it's really truly a pretend fiction, and then we're gonna pretend that the income was allocated out to various beneficiaries of the trust, being the adult members, 18 years of age or older, or married. And we will then tax the income in the hands of those individuals. The individuals will calculate their tax liability, and then the colony will pay the tax for the, for the entire community. 
that's how it works. Um, there, there was just some very specific restrictions that made Section 143 relatively punitive right from the first day. Um, there's no allocation at that point in time, there was no allocation of income to a married woman. The income that was calculated to be in the married lady's hands had to be added into the, her husband's tax return and taxed in his hands. Again, in the Canadian tax system, you pay an awful lot more tax because we have a progressive system. You pay way more tax on, for example, $40,000 of income on one return, way more tax than you would pay if you had 20000 on each of two returns. So that was punitive right from the start. In addition, those rules are extremely restrictive. There's absolutely no ability for the colony to recognize income in the hands of an individual under the age of 18. Now, many of you are from Southern Alberta, many of you have been family businesses, not only, not only farming, but we all know that in many family operations, and especially farming operations, children are actively involved in the operations. If you are a non-Hutterite farmer, you have every flexibility to pay a salary or wage or to allocate income to that individual. And every individual who gets some income in Canada can earn some of it tax-free. We have a thing, something called our personal non-refundable credit. Hutterite colonies are specifically restricted from having any income in the hands of any individual under the age of 18. In addition, what makes that even more punitive is in the Hutterite community, through an, through an agreement with both the province of Alberta, Saskatchewan, and Manitoba, Hutterite youth typically leave public school at the age of 15. They're full-time partners in the business after the age of 15, and clearly very active even when they're still in public school. No ability to have any income taxed in their hands of any kind whatsoever. The income that gets allocated by Section 143 is also determined by a formula. So it's all a, it's a mathematical calculation. There's no flexibility to say, you know, uh, should more income be put in an individual's hands based on roles or responsibilities or their, their physical, mental, or other, other uh, capabilities. It's simply a formula. It takes a number, divides it by the number of members, and allocates those shares to those members. That can cause problems in tax planning that you wouldn't otherwise encounter if you were a non-Hutterite. In addition, um, there was no recognition at the time for the significant charitable contributions that Hutterite colonies make. They completely fund their own public schools on their colonies. Public teachers from the, from the public school system Hutterites fund them completely. They build their own schools. There was no ability for them to get any kind of a charitable uh, uh, tax benefit from that. Hutterite colonies build their own churches. There was no ability for Hutterites to get any charitable benefit with that. So those are some of the things that started in 1977 that created a significant level of unfairness at that time. That was 40 years ago. And because, I think if we look back, and many people have asked, you know, why did we get to where we got, um, the intentions of the, of, the, of the legislation at the time was to respect the beliefs of Hutterites and to tax them fairly. One of the, looking back 40 years, I think one of the biggest challenges comes with the fact that they chose to make these separate Hutterite rules in a separate section of the Income Tax Act, Section 143. And what happened is because it's sort of off on its side, Hutterites are a relatively small 
minority in Canada. While visible, they're relatively small, and they're not outspoken. They're not, they're not about to be marching on, the, on Parliament Hill with their tractors or anything like that. So because it's a separate section, it's remained relatively unchanged over the last 40 years, while so many other parts of our Income Tax Act have considerably changed since then. Uh, some of those changes that I want to talk about briefly. Hutterites do not have the ability to file corporately. Corporations in Canada, family corporations, whether they be farming or otherwise, have an incredibly, incredibly big tax benefit on their first $500,000 of taxable income inside a corporation. They pay at the lowest tax rate possible in the country. If Hutterites had their flexibility, they would have family farm corporations would pay significantly less. The Income Tax Act denies them the right to do that because of their religion. They are not allowed to file as a corporation. Tax reform created very few tax brackets in Canada. We used to have many tax brackets in the, and our rates changed every couple hundred dollars or so of income. Now our tax rates change uh, every 20 or $30,000 of income, but those rate changes are relatively significant. And because they have very limited flexibility in allocating their income, Hutterite colonies find themselves paying at a high, much higher personal rate than they would otherwise pay. Hutterites don't have the ability to take advantage of tax-deferred savings associated with a registered retirement savings plan. Every other Canadian can. They can't even take advantage of that opportunity. Um, it wasn't until 1993 that they were finally, we were finally able to get the legislation changed to allow them to have some recognition for their charitable donations, both to their own community as well as massive contributors to, the, to our local community. Hutterites have, have anonymously uh, and generously given to many, many, many ventures inside this community, but they're not looking for the attention uh, associated with their donation. They do it from their heart. The first MRI that was purchased ever for the, for the Lethbridge Regional Hospital was significantly, significantly funded in the, in the term of hundreds of thousands of dollars by Hutterite community, but they didn't want their name attached to it. The, the college, the university, uh, many other institutions, uh, Hutterites are also perhaps some of the biggest and, and most uh, loyal and frequent to blood donors at the blood donor clinic, for those of you who, who, who recognize that. So um, they do a tremendous amount of, of work for our community. And then the, uh, I guess the sort of the PS de resistance that's created a lot of our work in Ottawa over the last few years was in 2014, the Canada Revenue Agency took a, took a processing, uh, an assessing position on Hutterite tax returns and started denying Hutterites the working income tax benefit. Uh, again, I don't expect many of you are necessarily tax experts, but the working income tax benefit is a refundable credit that is given to people who have relatively low taxable incomes, but that taxable income has to be from, from active income, working income. So you have to be a, a farmer, a fisherman, perhaps a proprietor, maybe you're a plumber, an electrician. You might be an employee. It's, it's there to help provide some tax relief to individuals who have taxable income uh, at the relatively low levels. As soon as you have more than about fifteen dollars or $20,000 of taxable income, you are, are sort of the benefit becomes getting clawed back. You're, out, you're outside of the limits. The Canada Revenue Agency started denying the working income tax benefit to Hutterites in 2014. And as an example, we, do rep we file about 20,000 individual Hutterite tax returns for pardon me, for our colony clients each and every year. The average, if you looked at the, at, the, at the taxable income that we report on behalf of our colony clients without getting into privacy of information, but approximately 75% of the Hutterite colony tax returns that we file in any given year 
report taxable income of less than $25,000. And yet the government is denying something like the working income tax benefit to Hutterites. As an illustration of some of the unfairness, and I'm being sensitive about my time here, if you took $80,000 of family income, and that, in this example, it's a family of mom and dad, a 19-year-old, a 15-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 6-year-old. A Hutterite family on $80,000 of taxable income would pay $17,000 more in income tax than a non-Hutterite family. Anybody making $80,000 a year would like to have that extra 17. And there's no reason why a specific group of people should pay that much more tax because of their religion. And as a result of that, we've been spending a lot of time in Ottawa lately, haven't we, John? <laughs> John, uh, we, uh, we, I, I've spent, I've been doing this for 30 years and I've spent 30 years going down to Ottawa and talking to the Department of Finance, begging for change, looking for change uh, for Hutterites so that we can re establish those, those original principles, fairness. I think as Canadians, we all say, well, let's tax everybody fairly. That's right. Why would we tax somebody more because of their religion? Unfortunately, because Section 143 has sat there isolated for the last 40 years, we have a group of people in Canada who pays significantly more tax because of their religion, and it's not an opinion. It's a fact, and anyone can open up their Income Tax Act and read Section 143 and see what I've been talking about here today. But we've been spending a lot of time... Um, we had the good fortune of presenting in front of the House of Finance Committee, uh, House of Commons Finance Committee in 2008. We presented again in 2016. Um, we sat at the Minister of Finance's roundtable in 2016, and we actually had a full and complete Senate hearing in front of the Senate of Canada, the Banking Committee on, on uh, Banking, Commerce and Trade, in, uh, in March of this year. Um, John was a, was a very capable witness. Thank you, I'm getting, the, I'm getting my, my timing uh, warning here. So, um, and for those of you who might be interested, um, there's, the, there's the link to the Senate hearing. You can go on the, you can go on the Senate of Canada's link uh, and, and watch the hearing. It's, two, it's about an hour and 40 minutes. Uh, we presented as witnesses for about an hour, and then the Canada Revenue Agency and the Department of uh, Finance uh, presented as witnesses to the, to the Senate committee at that time. I actually just got a note before I came up here that this morning that committee report was both tabled in the Senate and passed in the, in the Senate, um, making recommendations to the Government of Canada, to the Minister of Finance, to get this problem fixed. Now, uh, that's still a, it's still a big political issue. It's still uh, uh, something that, uh, that is up to the Department of Finance and the Minister of Finance to fix, but uh, the Senate has been incredibly, incredibly uh, uh, helpful. Uh, I think if I, could, if, I could, if I could pass on that from a standpoint of a, I'm not much of a political person, but I can tell you the Senate of Canada, uh, our experience dealing with all senators and, and in the Senate hearing has been an amazing group, uh, very open-minded, very reasonable, willing to think of both sides of an issue, not necessarily just one. A uh, very businesslike approach. Uh, we actually had the good fortune of yesterday meeting with the Minister, uh, uh, Minister Morneau in Calgary. Uh, John's on a first name basis now with Minister Morneau, which is kind of nice. He, he, he recognized John immediately in the crowd and had a good, we had a good chat with him, as well as the chairman of, uh, of the committee we, we reported to, Senator Black uh, from Calgary. And again, I can't say enough about, about some of the local senators. Senator Fairbairn uh, back in the 80s was very helpful to us with Hutterites, and then Senator Scott Tannis. From, uh, from High River has been an incredible 
champion of this issue for us over the last, over the last five or six years. So right now we're getting very positive signs from both the Senate and, uh, and the Minister of Finance of Finance's office that they're about to address this unfairness and finally fix it and reestablish fairness for our Hatterian community that is such an important part of Southern Alberta. As you say, they, they, uh, they are tremendous impact on our local economies and our local businesses, uh, not only uh, in agriculture, but in many, many other ways. And so uh, I, I'll be very conscious of my time. That kind of gets to the, close to the end of my presentation. I do have some other areas. If we get to some, some uh, questioning perhaps, or I'll, I'll maybe leave this list up. There are some other areas of, I think, misunderstanding and myths. There's a lot of, I, I call them, sometimes we refer to them as urban myths, but they're not urban. They're urban, rural, they're, and we've found out by going to Ottawa so much, these myths are not local in southern Alberta. Most people in Ottawa have never heard of a Hutterite. They don't understand who Hutterites are. They don't understand their way of life. They don't understand their businesses. And uh, it's been a lot of part of, it's been a lot of our time maybe focusing on this, is that, uh, that hopefully from some of the stuff I've shared with you today, hopefully out of understanding and education, we will uh, have some tolerance. So I'll... Uh, I know I'm the only thing between you and lunch, and that's not always a good thing. I, it's, it would only be worse if I was the only thing between you and the bar, but uh, it's just as bad for me to be the only thing between you and lunch. <laughs> okay. John is just saying, and it's an open invitation to anybody in the crowd who ever wants to go out to Kings Lake Colony, just, uh, just let us know, because they're, they're about, a, they're about 70, 70 miles southeast of here, just near Foremost. I'd like to thank the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. I think your, your forum for education and understanding is, uh, is uh, a wonderful forum, and I appreciate you uh, enduring my 30 minutes to listen to me talk about uh, the myths with regards to Hutterite taxation, and I certainly very much look forward to your questions uh, when we get back up.